Hello and welcome to The Rewriters, a celebration of people who have shirked convention, expectation and even their own limitation to rewrite their story on their terms. Each episode will dig into the inspired and very real life stories of people who have done just that, rewritten their story. I'm a nosy practical optimist too, so expect all of the nitty gritty details. If you're an ambitious seeker craving a different kind of lifestyle, career or business, but have felt held back by your own or other people's beliefs about what's possible or permissible, The Rewriters is for you. This is the first ever episode of The Rewriters and the rewriter we'll be featuring is me. So who am I? I'm Monique Shaw, coach, writer, brand consultant entrepreneur and now podcaster. I run a business of one, Rewrite, and like most of us, I'm working from home, or at least many of us, I'm working from home. But even outside of a pandemic, that was always my intention, to create a business that allowed me to work where I wanted, when I wanted, and with whom I wanted, doing something that I loved. At the start of 2020, two weeks before the UK's first lockdown, I left my role as a global brand and marketing leader at a big international firm to start my business of one, Rewrite. And I left behind a marketing and business development career of well over a decade. I did that because work and success didn't feel good anymore. And I believe that it can and it should. In fact, I've done it many times before. I know how to rewrite stories. I've created a business and this podcast to inspire others to do the same. So in this episode, I'm going to share three significant statements that were said to me or about me that I overcame or sidestepped on my rewrite journey. And the reason that this is important is because so often it's that voice in our head or the voice in other people's heads or mouths or social norms, the voice of the society that we live in, that hold us back. So clearing and transcending that noise is absolutely critical for doing things on your own terms. I'll also share the three foundational elements for how I live and work today, my current rewrite. For me, rewriting your story isn't based on some elusive destination, which inevitably shifts and evolves anyway, but rather on how I want to spend my time, what makes me feel energised and what I'm unwilling to negotiate on. So first up, the statements I heard that aren't mine. Number one, but you're so old. So let me take you back. It was Christmas, New Year, 2009, 2010, and I was in Australia visiting family, and I just told my cousin that I was studying for a professional marketing qualification. And that was her response. But you're so old. I was 29, almost 30, and she was about nine or 10 years younger. Six months earlier, I'd immigrated to the UK permanently because I'd met a boy, an English boy, in a Leeds bar a few years prior whilst doing the very Australian rite of passage of a working holiday abroad, and we got engaged. I immigrated not long after the global economic crisis had hit the UK and the world economy in 2008. And although I'd already been working in marketing, I arrived back into the UK unemployed and unable to work for six months. I won't bore you with the bureaucratic details. Anyway, I was university educated, I was experienced, but I didn't have a professional marketing qualification and I decided that I needed one if I was going to get my CV looked at. I wanted it to stand out. And at this point, I was sending out possibly hundreds of CDs. Even entry-level roles weren't responding. It was pretty soul-destroying. So I got that qualification. 
And then I got another one too. And I got a job and then I got a better job and then I got an even better job. And fast forward to a decade or so later, and I was leading a global brand and marketing team at a very big, very well-known firm. And that would not have been possible without a professional marketing qualification. And it most certainly would not have been possible if I decided that I was too old to get one. Along the way, I had a thoroughly enjoyable career that had taken me all over the world. I had lots of opportunities. I worked on awesome projects. I met awesome people. Quick side note here, this story isn't an anecdote to provide evidence of the need to get a qualification or a piece of paper anytime you want to go after something new. I work with so many talented and incredibly smart women who hold themselves back from going after things because they feel like they need some certificate or permission first. Sometimes you do need a certificate, but not always. So know the difference and make sure that that voice deciding is yours, not somebody else's. I wasn't too old at all to be retraining, but the comments singed into my brain and my memory and it played into all of the not enoughness or too muchness narratives that I'd already swallowed up and internalized. That comment hurt at the time. It stunned me a little bit, but it didn't stop me. In fact, now when I reflect on that comment, I ache for anyone who thinks that of themselves or of others, saying or believing I'm too anything or I'm not enough of anything or you're too something or you're not enough of something is the number one thing that will make that true. So BS to you're too old. In fact, I retrained again last year and I got a postgrad too. I might do the same thing at 50. And to reinforce my point here, I've pulled together a list of other folks who definitely weren't too old. Julia Child published her first cookbook, age 49, and launched her TV show, The French Chef, two years later, age 51. Samuel L. Jackson got his breakout role in Spike Lee's Jungle Fever. He was 43. Betty White, total legend, became the icon we now know and love when she joined the Mary Tyler Moore show, aged 51. Ariana Huffington, founded the Huffington Post, became synonymous with sleeping and thriving. She was 55. Dame Judi Dench, seven Oscar nominations and a win for Best Actress in a Supporting Role, all over the age of 60. Frank McCourt, Pulitzer Prize winning author of Angela's Ashes, took up writing, aged 65. Karl Lagerfeld took the helm of Chanel, 82. You're not too old, you're not too anything, and if you've been told that or you believe it to be true, let it go because it's not. The next one, you're so brave. Now, this one wasn't at all about judgment, but it did come from a place of assumption and also limitation, just not mine. You're so brave is what many colleagues and friends and even some family members would say when they found out that I was leaving a well-paid, perk-laden job with a fancy-sounding title to start my own thing from scratch. And honestly, I didn't feel brave at all. I felt connected. I felt plugged in. I felt like I was paying attention. That little voice inside had been saying for some time, you're bored, this isn't you, you don't enjoy this, it doesn't mean anything, it's not worth it, what are you doing? And I didn't listen for a long time. I'd worked hard, I'd climbed the ranks, I'd rewritten my story from average university student, casual part-time worker, barista, indie cinema manager to high-flying corporate girl. I had the income, the home ownership, the frequent flyers, the kudos, the comfort, the not having to worry about money. But man, I was time poor and man, I was creatively starved. I was disconnected. And so I started listening and I started paying attention and I heard myself saying, this doesn't matter. Another promotion doesn't matter. And then I started asking, if not this, what? What do I want? What do I need? What's important? What am I awesome at? How can I serve? Who can I serve? How do I want to spend my days? 
over time, and it was some time, it wasn't a rash move, and I wouldn't encourage anyone to quit their job on a whim without some kind of backup plan or buffer. But over time, the vision became clearer, and the exit plan became firmer. And by the time it was out, and I had officially resigned, there was no bravery. It didn't feel brave. You're so brave. You've got to be really careful with statements like that. The underlying message here is you're taking a big risk. I think it's really scary that you're doing this. I wouldn't be doing this. And if you listen to that too closely and you take that stuff on, suddenly you can find yourself saying, am I brave? Is this too dangerous? I didn't. I was assured. But I've got to be careful with this one because well-meaning comments from very well-meaning people can very often get us unstuck and unraveled. Number three, you won't make it to 30. Now, this one really hurt. This one's from my early mid-20s. I think I was about 23, 24 maybe. And I was a moderately unhinged late teens, early 20s, mid-20s, excessive party girl. I dragged myself through uni, made poor choices about men. I was really disconnected from myself and I had a pretty low self-esteem. I was a really hard worker though. I was always a hard worker and I always worked. And I can't remember if this was said directly to me or was told to me after the fact, but I vividly remember those words being shared and they were very much about me. It was a much older colleague, a man, who had no doubt grown weary of my chaos and excess. But wow, what a big thing to say about a young girl figuring herself out and working through her pain. And I did that sometimes in healthy ways. I've been flexing my meditation and yoga muscles since the 90s, but I often did it in destructive ways. And that is the kind of statement that we swallow up and hold on to for safekeeping. It's a wonderful fertilizer for shame. The thing is, I never believed I wouldn't make it to 30, of course. I was standard entry wild, not iconic of the Jim, Janice and Jimmy variety. It was excess but still scraping through uni excess, excess but still working and paying my rent excess. But what I did with that statement is I internalized it as proof of my unworthiness. Proof that, sure, I'd make it to 30, but I was capped damaged, limited. So this is for anyone with a past, and I say that with little air quotes too. Everyone has a past. Of course they do. Everyone has a story. My stories from that time are often hilarious, but they're often really painful too. But they don't define me though. They give me empathy and they give me richness. That statement really hurt, but it probably did kindle a fire that was already burning inside. So a year or so after that statement, I left Australia, which, as it turned out, was for good, at least for now, and I travelled the US with close friends before settling in the UK. And I hadn't been in an office job before, but I landed an office job temping because I knew how to touch type, thanks mum, and I had a printed out referral letter. I told the college registrar where I worked that they needed a PA and should employ me, and then I was a PA, and I was involved in organising graduation ceremonies for thousands of students, and then I was noticed by the head of PR and marketing and encouraged to apply for a job with them, which I did and which I got. And that is how my marketing career began, by not allowing myself to be capped or limited by some story, certainly not somebody else's story of me, by being a little bit audacious, by not believing that I wouldn't make it. And I still remember those words. Of course I do. I'm talking about them here on this podcast. But I hear those words and all I hear is judgment. Other people's opinions, other people's limitations, other people's restrictions are just that. Other people's. Don't make them yours. They don't belong to you. Give them back. So that brings me to right now, my current story. Business owner of one, coaching, consulting and writing to help people and businesses rewrite their stories to create lives, brands and careers they love. 
sounds well thought through, but I didn't start with the end in mind in terms of what business I wanted to run or how much money I wanted to make. I started with how I wanted to feel and how I wanted to spend my time and how I could be of service. What I did was I put some foundations in place. And with these in place, I can evolve my business, add new things in, take bits out, but the foundations remain the same. So in rewriting my story from corporate nine-to-fiver to business owner, this is the backbone. These are the foundational principles. Number one, values. I know that values is a really overused term that corporates use all the time and online coaches like me. But seriously, values are foundational. They are a part of you and knowing yours and letting them guide your career and business decisions will completely transform the way you live and your relationship with work. Values are fundamental and they are such a good indicator of when we're close to or far from our deeper purpose. They drive behaviors, they influence our energy, they influence our joy, our satisfaction. So my values are creativity, freedom, connection and communication, growth and personal development, and honesty. And I've got some shadow ones too that I sometimes like to sidestep, like achievement and control. At different stages in my corporate career, my values were being met, but there were also times that they were being really challenged, creativity in particular, and also honesty. I couldn't always be creative the way that I wanted to be, and I would often see dishonest or disingenuous behavior being rewarded. So over time, and certainly towards the end of my corporate career, it had reached a point where too many of my values were being starved or challenged. I knew that because I felt really dissatisfied, really bored, really uninspired. And so I analyzed that. What do I value? How is this showing up for me in my work? How in or out of alignment with that am I? And then slowly over time, I started to craft a business idea and a business style that lined up with my values. And so I put those core elements in place, creativity at the center, freedom to choose how and where I worked and with whom, connection and communication, fundamental to my business, growth and personal development, also essential to my happiness. I build time and space in for that. And honesty, being honest and authentic is absolutely critical. It's core to who I am. So when you have a conscious awareness of your values and you let that knowledge inform your decision making, it has a really significant impact on your happiness and your success. And also the way you view success too. So I don't view wealth and success in purely monetary terms. In fact, that's just one category of a multitude. I view it in terms of time, fulfillment, closest to my values. The makeup of my days and my weeks may change and the services and products that I offer may change, but I will always let these values guide my decision making. And I always know that dissatisfaction or feeling disconnected will correlate closely to a move away from them. Number two, non-negotiables. So what are your non-negotiables? Do you know? Do you have any? If you're negotiating with them, they are not non-negotiable. So your non-negotiables are those things that are absolutely essential for your well-being. And so often they are the things that you sacrifice first. I'm talking about things that if you sacrifice repeatedly, you start to feel really resentful. So it might be going to the gym or your morning jog. Maybe it's rock choir on a Tuesday, hot yoga after work on a Friday the volunteering work that you do. For me, it's protecting my mornings and ample time with my family. So evenings and weekends protected from unnecessary work. I once worked with a really senior partner who had a date night with his wife in the calendar every single Thursday night. And it didn't matter how big the client deadline, what we had on, where we were in the project, that date was non-negotiable and we worked around it. And let me tell you, that was extremely rare in that work environment. Work almost always came first for everyone. 
But he was a really balanced guy and very, very bloody happily married too. And so we worked around it. And I've seen people earlier in their career manage it too. So there's another person that I worked with a while ago who was a really big role model for me. And he wasn't the most senior person in the team. In fact, when I first started working with him, he was one of the most junior people in the team. And what he did at every step of his career is he, wait for it, took his lunch break every day. (laughs) Again, not something that was typically done in that work environment. But he would leave the office, go outside for a walk, and he would enjoy his lunch. Absolute game changer. So what they both did, which was really key, was that they were clear and they were transparent and they were consistent with what was non-negotiable. And they weren't apologetic or secretive about their commitments either. They stuck to them. And not only did this manage expectations, but it also role modelled their behaviour to others, which is a win-win. I am at my absolute strategic and creative best in the morning, and I also absolutely cherish solitude and time to do my morning ritual. Anyone who knows me knows how evangelical I am about my mornings. And so my morning is non-negotiable. It's built into my business that way. I don't schedule meetings or networking catch-ups or training or anything at all really in the morning. My mornings are for my morning ritual, which is some meditation, journaling, perhaps a little bit of reading and yoga. And then the most savoured part of my day, my morning coffee. And then I start my work day with my most strategic and creative piece of work, which is usually writing. And if all of that means that emails are checked later and I don't post on social media, cool. It's non-negotiable. That stuff is locked in. It anchors my day, it anchors me. But here's the other thing. This is a little get out of jail free card. The thing about non-negotiables is that they are non-negotiable 95% of the time. Don't be completely inflexible. Don't tie yourself in knots about your plans or routines. Use them as they're intended to be non-negotiable, to be foundational, to anchor you, to protect your most cherished things and times or strategic periods. But give yourself 5% wiggle room too. If you become too all or nothing, it can crack. Number three, helpfulness quotas. So hands up all those recovering or suffering people pleasers out there, which is me. I was chronic, codependent, people pleasing, high achieving. I'm also really resilient and prone to workaholism too. So it can be really hard for me to draw boundaries. I push myself hard. I volunteer my time. I invest in building relationships. I have lots of friends and a lot of people ask me for help or advice. This is on top of my actual work. So if I said yes to every request on my time, I'd have no time to run my business or live my life the way that I want to. So I've moved away from overwork towards having more time and I've moved away from obligation to openness. And here's how I did it. Helpfulness quotas. I want to help. I value relationships, volunteering and being of service. But I also value my time, my headspace, my business and my health. And I don't want to fill my time with your stuff if it means I'm doing my stuff in the evening or the weekends. And so I have helpfulness quotas. And when they're full, they're full. So what do I mean by helpfulness quotas? You can call them boundaries, you can call them whatever you want, but what they are is slots throughout your week or your month, the times when you are at your least productive, i.e. not your peak strategic times. Times when you can afford to carve time to help other people or work on things like long-term projects, online training, catching up on old emails, you know, whatever it is that isn't taking away from the core part of your day. So if someone wants to meet me for a virtual cuppa, I will only do it late mornings on a Thursday or Friday. They're my non-working days. And I won't do more than one a day either. I have my toddler those days. So while a 30-minute catch-up is cool, I can't take out hours of my day. Part of my business design was more time with my kid. So if someone wants me to review something for them, and I get that a lot, 
sure, if I have time on my Thursdays or Fridays, or if my working days are light on client calls, I might get some time in the afternoon. But the point is, I have mental slots where I can be helpful. And when they're filled, they're filled. So, hey, do you have time to look at this? It's not met with an immediate, sure. It's met with me considering my quota and what time is left and then letting that inform my response. So, sure, I can look at it at X time. And if that doesn't work for them, no worries, maybe next time. But dropping stuff that's my stuff to do their stuff just doesn't work for me. So have a quota on your helpfulness. Non-negotiables and helpfulness quotas combined are really awesome brackets for anyone who struggles with boundaries, any people pleasers out there. So get those guys in place and half the work is done. So that's all for this episode. Things to let go of. Statements that aren't yours or no longer serve you. You're so old. You're so brave. You won't make it. You've probably got some other ones too. Let them go. They're not yours. And if you're wondering how the hell to start crafting and drafting your next rewrite, get some foundations in place that will keep you anchored but give you the freedom to explore and follow your nose. Know your values and let them guide you. Have your non-negotiables and stop negotiating with them. And have some quotas on your helpfulness too. Help but not at the expense of the things that you cherish and certainly not to the point of resentment and burnout because that won't help anyone. If you want a tool to help you identify and assess your values, I'm going to pop a free resource into the show notes as well as some links to articles I've written on this topic and others that might be useful. I'll also be opening the doors to my Rewrite Your Career Story group coaching program in December for the January-February 2021 intake, but you can get on the waiting list now. This program is for anyone who feels stuck, bored, uninspired or burnt out by work and wants clarity and a way forward but has no idea where to start. You can sign up to the waiting list at my website, rewriterewrite.com. That's rewrite twice because rewrite alone was taken. And I also work one-to-one with business owners and individuals rewriting their stories. There's oodles more at my website and you can also follow me on Instagram at the rewriters. That's at the underscore rewriters. So that's all for now, rewriters. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share with your mates if you liked what you heard. See you next time. The Rewriters is produced, written, and presented by Monique Shaw, original artwork by Kiana Perry, and original music by DJ Cinnamon.